Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about eliminating screen conflicts in their home. This is Melanie Hempy, and I am so glad you are here. Welcome, everyone. If you are new, we're glad you found us. And if you aren't new, welcome back. I just wanted to start this episode today with an email. I get tons of emails and actually I get a lot of phone calls too, which is all perfectly fine. I love talking to families, but this email I got just recently, I'm just going to read a little part of this. It says, my daughter got a phone three months ago and I have no idea what happened to her. It is like she is not in our family anymore. What did the phone do to her? So then this mom goes on to say that this is her oldest daughter, that she is not allowed her even to have social media. I think she's 14. She hasn't allowed her to have social media, but that the group texts are like the word she used, a hurricane. <laughs> and oh boy, do I know, I know that feeling, the, the hurricane, the storm, right? So she's getting hundreds of group texts every few days and then regular texts too. So I know that social media is definitely a problem, of course, and we all can use our common sense and figure out that kids shouldn't be playing around what I call the trash dump every day of social media. But, you know, I hadn't thought as hard about the texting. And so I talked to my boys, I have two 16 year old boys, and I asked them, you know, give me some more information about this texting issue. And I know kids text a lot. I know it's like a hundred times a day in general, but the boys said, mom, um, texting is just like social media. You, you write things and then you send photos. <laughs> they said, it's the same thing. They're like, why do you think it's different? I said, well, cause I don't use texting that way, right? I use it for business. So this is one more reason why our guest today, why we're so excited to have Tessa Stuckey. She is very passionate about raising kids in a really balanced world and helping parents do just that. And, and when I read Tessa's book, oh my goodness, she talks about the storm and she actually uses that word. And so when this mom was talking about the storm, I was just like, oh my goodness. I want, I wrote that mom back and I said, mom, you need to get your daughter a journal. She does not need to be writing all of her thoughts and feelings in a text to all of her friends. Tessa is a licensed professional counselor and she is devoted her life to helping, you know, teens. And also she's raising four boys in Houston, Texas. Tessa, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So glad you joined us. And I read in your book that you kept a journal when you were a teen, right? I did. I did. I was obsessed with journaling, like ever since I was like six years old, probably yeah. I got my first diary from like the book fair or something and just fell in love with with writing out my thoughts and yeah, and it really became very therapeutic and powerful for me when I hit those adolescent years and had really big emotions and felt like I was the only one who had those big emotions and I had a safe place to just kind of process my thoughts and I've been, yeah, I, I write all the time now. I love it. You know, my son told me that I thought, wow, every kid needs a journal. They don't yeah. need to use their phone, uh, you know, to put all these thoughts and feelings, you know, to all their friends constantly. And, and the other right. thing, you know, with that is not only do they not need to do that, they do not need to be reading all this stuff from their friends. Like right. it's too much. It's, it's too much. It's like an, an emotion overload that 
you know, they have their own big emotions happening and it's hard to take on other people's emotions. So, yeah. And I think, I honestly think girls are a little bit different than boys and, you know, as women and females, we are processors and we do lean on our friends to process our thoughts and our emotions. And that's very healthy. There's nothing wrong with leaning on your friends in that way. Um, However, with screens and devices being available 24-7, you're kind of leaning on it in an unhealthy way, I think, or kid, mm-hmm. girls might be leaning on it in an unhealthy way um, with un- unrealistic expectations that their friends are going to be there for them 24-7 and and then not processing it on their own, right? Like as individuals, we have to teach our kids and ourselves how to self-regulate and how to um, process our own emotions on our own, which is why I love journaling because it really is that alone, productive alone time. Mm-hmm. But with texting, which, you know, I hadn't heard that either, what you said about your son's saying that, and it makes so much sense, right? Um, but it's it's funny as parents because we so don't see it that way because we don't use it that way. That's right. That's why I told him. I said, well, I just use it for my my group here that we're right. you know, in business and whatever. Yeah. And, and they're like, mom, no, it's the same thing. Right. Like, wow. Yeah. Really and it may, you know, I use it to check in on family members and good friends here and there, but not 24 seven, you know, yeah. and it's, you know, we need to learn how to process our own emotions and the things that we're going through on our own right. and having the availability of text messaging your friends all hours of the night or whatever it is, um, just isn't healthy. No. And, and friends don't make good counselors really when they're some age peers. So so talk, so let's start with uh, talking about how you got passionate around this issue of, you know, obviously it's your life calling now to Mm -hmm. work with teenagers. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Bless you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because I, you know, I, both of my parents are therapists. So you would think that growing up, I had a lot of that emotional support. And I'm, I'm not saying that I didn't have emotional support. However, I never felt that I had a safe place to go and talk because my parents are human too. They're not always therapists, right? So I just wish I had had that outlet, that safe spot to say all the things to to voice that I was annoyed with my parents, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not get in trouble for saying that and, you know, whatever and process things as as a human being rather than just looked at as a child. So I really wanted to do that for teenagers. You know, I, I believe teenage years are the most emotionally draining and confusing years of one's life. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to just be that for a lot of teenagers. So what I didn't expect was the amount of darkness that I was going to be having to equip myself as a ther- therapist to be available for these teenagers. I was ready to talk about, you know, dating drama, being annoyed with, stuff. yeah, being annoyed with mom and dad, maybe getting caught with something bad and and working through that and building good relationships with parents, you know, that sort of thing. And then I was hit pretty hard with so much self-harm and suicidal ideation. Um and it's funny because now it's been about seven years that I've been doing this. And now people say to me, Tessa, I know you're really interested in working with suicidal ideation. And I think, no, (laughs) I'm not, I don't 
I did not get into this job like really wanting to work with suicidal clients. There are people who are equipped for that, but I was not prepared. I didn't seek that out. It's just happening so much. It's happening so much for today's youth that it was like, okay, I have to learn how to work with these clients all the time. Yeah. You have no choice. It's the second cause of death in teens from 10, what, 10 years to 18 or something. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's tripled in the last year because of the pandemic. And so it's just, it's heartbreaking. And it, and for me at the time I had four kids, four and under. So they were really little when I first started. And, um, I was so confused as to why this was being brought into my office so much. And my clients weren't showing any of the traditional signs or symptoms or the warnings that we know suicidal ideation to look like. Yeah. So talk about that a minute. Talk, yeah. yeah. That, was, that was really interesting when I read uh-huh. that. So typically, you know, what I was taught in grad school and what I grew up believing people who struggle with suicide to look like are those that really show signs of depression and isolate. They have struggled with maybe substance abuse or they've had trauma and abuse and neglect in their life. And historically, people who have struggled with suicide, and obviously this is still the case today too, are people who really are at, you know, they're hopeless and they are at rock bottom. But what I was seeing, what was coming into my office were these cute, popular, active, doing well in school, really polite and talkative. Like there wasn't, it was really confusing for me. I I thought, oh, she's joking. (laughs) She must not really be thinking about suicide. Or I thought, okay, there's some abuse in there. There's trauma in there. And I need to peel back these layers and find out what's going on in their world. And there really wasn't. I would say about 5% of my clients truly had those traditional symptoms of depression and the rest were, were kind of confusing me. And so that's why I kind of set off on this journey and I started researching and interviewing. I interviewed my clients as well as teenagers that weren't my clients. I interviewed a lot of families. I interviewed families who had lost a teen to suicide. And then I started going outreaching to people across the nation and talking to other mental health professionals and, And it it was really interesting to find. And I found six contributing cultural factors happening today. And a big one is technology. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about those, those things. Let's talk about those six things. So we might skip around a little bit just because technology seems to influence really all of them. But I Mm -hmm. thought it was interesting that you, you brought up the fact that there are suicide clusters. And so this means that there's multiple kids all participating in this suicide, either, Mm -hmm. I hate to say success, that sounds terrible, or attempts, you know, and they're doing it all the same way. And what that leads me to think is that they're hearing, you know, you hear about these different suicide events Mm -hmm, that are happening, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and so that the platform, if they weren't on their phones, obviously they wouldn't be hearing all of that. No, yes, I do think so. You know, just recently we lost an 11-year-old. It's it's a really sad situation. And I don't know the family, so I, I can't say this with complete confidence. But I can't help but think that she was influenced somehow through seeing something online. Yeah. Because an 11-year-old doesn't – an 11-year-old doesn't go to that dark spot on their own. 
No. Either someone older in her life or something she saw on social media, TikTok or YouTube. You know, there's so many toxic toxicity mm-hmm. on social media that if we are not monitoring it, you know, our 10 and 11 year olds are going to see that. And because they're so impressionable and their minds cannot process things correctly, they do. They they go to that spot sometimes. And so it's it's just really sad. So tell us, I mean, you just said a minute ago, you know, that these kids don't have the normal symptoms or the warning signs that we normally Mm -hmm. see. So if you had to, and we'll talk about these six things, but if you had to pin it down to one thing, I, I feel like after reading your book and thinking about this more, it seems like peer pressure really tends to be a common thread like a trending. Right, right. And, but then let's start, talk about this self-harm thing too, because just talk about that for a minute. Cause I know that, that kids who participate in self-harm have, what is it like a 70% higher chance Mm -hmm. of attempting suicide? That's staggering. Yeah. And what happens, what I'm seeing is every time I ask a client who, who struggles with self-harm, I ask, how old were you when you first thought about it? And kind of what put that idea in your head? And 100%, Melanie, 100% of my clients have said, oh, I saw something on my phone in the sixth grade. There you go. Um, It used to be like back before social media, it used to be, oh, my friend tried it or, you know, I saw something in a movie, right? Mm -hmm. And 100% of my clients have said, I saw something on social media, either Instagram or TikTok, and typically they talk about it in the fifth and sixth grade. And that's so young, right? And even one of my clients said, oh, I was on Instagram and I saw an ad spreading awareness, like offering help for someone who cuts. And that is what triggered that idea for me. And it's just like, oh my gosh, okay, all right. So, you know, I always say like, if you wouldn't let your kids watch late night HBO and rated R horror movies or rated X movies, then then you're going to have to step in and regulate what they're doing on their their devices. And for me and my, yeah, well, that's what, you know, for me and my family, we are holding off Mm-hmm. As long as possible, because exactly, good luck. You know, they get around all, all of it. And it's even like an ad, like you're saying. It's not even yes. like they went to go right. somewhere it's bad. It's not even it's the just, intention. Yeah. yeah. So what's the first thing on your list? So there's two main goals or two main things that are being deprived from our kids having opportunity of building. And that's resiliency and connection. So what happens, so with the six cultural influences, the first one I talk about in my book is a glorified option. So kind of like what you were saying with the trending thing. If it's happening more than ever, then we're going to be talking about it more than ever. And what I believe that a lot of people, their intention is to spread awareness, kind of what we were saying about the Instagram. Um, It's not being balanced with the appropriate preventative care which is all the stuff I talk about all the time, Mm -hmm. Um, building resiliency and connection. And so if we are going to go and share stories and try to teach our kids about awareness of suicide and self-harm, we have got to balance that with, okay, now this is what we do to make sure you don't get to this point. And we're not, I'm not seeing that very much. I'm seeing a lot of people sharing stories, you know, even on Instagram, like, 
people sharing what's happened to them so that others feel relatable. Mm. But I think it's triggering a lot and it's creating, yeah, that space of opening up their minds to something that maybe they wouldn't have thought about or they normally wouldn't think of as an option. Yeah, and it never would have crossed their radar. And it also glorifies it to the point where, you know, the the movies and it's cool. Um, and I, and I just want to say your, your children are, are young still. I have yeah. four that I have had four. I have raised and am raising four now still a few teenagers in my house. So I've been mm-hmm. through the teenage right. thing now four times. And, um, there are a couple things about being a teenager. And one of them is you love gross stuff. Okay. That yes. they're really, you know, attracted the grosser, the better. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they exaggerate a lot and they overreact and they're gullible sure. and they tease and they believe everything they see. And, yep. um, you know, if they don't. They're very impressionable. Yeah, exactly. And, and, I, and that's a little bit different than gullible. Right. Um, it's it's as if they can be easily influenced. Oh, they can right? definitely be easily yeah. influenced. And, and the, the gullible thing is like one of the boys will tell the other boys something and they'll just, their eyes will get real big and they'll just believe him. And I'm like, why right, are you believing right. that? Like that, yeah. you know, he's, he's pulling your leg, he's you know, obviously joking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, the, but they don't quite always get that. And so yeah. when they watch these movies that glorify suicide mm-hmm. and when it's trending and when, like you said, people may be meaning to just raise awareness, it's like, you don't need to raise that kind of an awareness with a teenager. It's, Right. Not necessary. They have other things they need to be doing right now during exactly. their developmental stage and, and not this. Well, yeah. And, you know, when I have a client that comes in and says she just wants to see who who's going to come to her funeral or how many people are going to come to her it's funeral. It's all backward. Or, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just like, what? Like, you're not going to get to see who comes to your funeral, you know? Oh, and, my goodness. Um, and then, you know, that, that show on Netflix came out right. and 13 Reasons Why. And... That was really that was happening at the same time that all of my clients were suicidal and we were experiencing the suicide cluster in our community. And yet the shows and movies give this fantasy that you get to see everyone missing you. Right. And and that's just not the case. And their brain development isn't there. They don't have right. the frontal cortex in place. Those connections aren't fully baked. Exactly. And so they can't play the tape forward like we do. Right. Like you, you can't think ahead and Right. Oh, I know. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot, right? And so if they're getting on social media or watching stuff and it's the idea of it is just kind of being out there all the time, then it's obviously going to be, and you know, I used to give presentations and say, I used to name my presentation off the table because I wanted to take it off the table as an option. And unfortunately it's on the table for so many young hearts and souls. Mm -hmm. So, but then, okay. So then the second cultural influence that I talk about in the book is the need for immediate gratification. So with that glorified option, the the idea of self-harm and suicide on the table um, and the lack of prefrontal cortex being developed, that lack of impulse control, when they go through something emotionally um, hard and distressing, they quickly go to the idea of something that they believe will be an instant fix Uh because they have grown up in a world where everything is instant. They have grown up with Amazon Prime and Netflix and pictures that you can see immediately. This is the lack of resiliency part. We as parents 
need to raise our kids in a world where they have to struggle a little bit. Right. Where everything doesn't isn't so convenient for them and so quick for them because when they hit those hormonal years, it is natural for them and I don't blame them. It is natural for them to say, I don't want to feel this way. What can I do right now to get rid of this feeling? Mm -hmm. And because they only know those instant fixes. And a lot of the neuroscientists that I talked to, I've over the years, I've really gotten to be friends and they said, you know, now we're really understanding that the teenage years are about that brain reorganization and development and not so much about the hormones. And I think that's really interesting for parents to understand that we all have hormones, right? But what we have as adults is we have the ability in our brain to act right and, and self-regulate. Yeah. Self-regulate. And so during the teenage years, all this pruning is happening. There's another surge of growth in connections and then things are being pruned away that aren't being used, but you're exactly right. This immediate gratification, it's all accelerator, no break. They want yeah. to constant, you know, and, and it's, they okay. want every, they want what they want and they want it now. And they want it now. Yeah. Yeah. And don't we all, I mean, we all have uh, that. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, really and, and truly. Yes. But yeah, yeah. we had moments in our life of experience to learn how to self-regulate and how to, struggle yes. through something. Yes. And that is that resiliency that we all have our story of how we've, you know, built that. And what I'm seeing with, with kids today is they just don't have, they don't have to be bored. No. And they don't have to build, they don't have to yeah. go through the pain of yep. the cocoon breaking open, like the butterfly, right. you know, and, exactly. um, and right here, right as you're talking, I'm for parents, y'all listening out there, I want, want you to think about a couple things that you can do and changes you can make in your home, even right now, to start building this grit in, in your kids, because that's really what we're talking about. I think that, that the more grit it, that's in their life, you know, it's not like it's always going to prevent suicide. But as I, I sit here, I'm thinking, Tessa, piano lessons might be mm -hmm. a good suicide prevention tool. Yes, exactly. Because exactly. that is like something that you can't instantly do. And it's, right frustrating and it's, but then, but then it's also super rewarding yes. after you work really hard on a song mm -hmm. and then you finally get it. And I wa I'm watching this kind of unfold in my kid's life. So there's nothing instant gratification about that. So find things in your kid's life that mm -hmm. you can add to their life to slow them down. Yeah. I mean, even as simple as ordering something, say they've saved up, you know, I'm really big at having my kids do things to save up for, for what yeah, they want what to they buy want to earn it. And yeah. I love the, the process of going to the store mm -hmm. instead of ordering it online. Right. 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 Like, and having them pull their little money out yeah. and, and actually Ooh, learning let go to of that hard money. cash. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, however, with the pandemic, it made it a little bit harder to go out. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we did, there were times when they would save up money and they'd be like, can I buy new Pokemon cards or whatever? And I would say, well, we can't go to the store, but let's look it up online, which I, I didn't like doing that, honestly. But, but something that I found is to, as simple as making sure I don't click on Amazon Prime yeah. and like have it shipped a normal right. shipping amount right. makes a difference. Like those little choices as a parent make those differences so that they're not getting their new Pokemon cards tomorrow. Right. 
yeah. because we're ordering it online, it's going to take at least seven to eight days yeah. or whatever. You just make it you know? longer. Yeah. Just find ways. To yeah. Little ways to yeah. do that. And, and what I tell parents is like when they get bored, I know you and I have talked about this, but boredom is a blessing for kids. Mm-hmm. It really is. That's working on this muscle, this immediate gratification yes, muscle. Yeah. Exactly. We need to allow them to be bored for so many reasons, but in my in my field, it's like, okay, this is going to teach them to struggle a little bit and to get creative and to not have that instant fix. Yeah, you know, yeah. and as, as a parent, it's hard. It's yeah. really hard to sit back and watch our kids struggle because um, it's uncomfortable for us. So I encourage parents to learn how to sit through that discomfort a little bit mm-hmm. and allow your kids to struggle because they they really need it to build that resiliency to get through we have to get used to that feeling and because yes. we're going to have it the rest of our life. I mean, there's yes. all kinds of things. So what's right. the next thing? Let me- so then the next one I talk about in my book is the lack of connection, personal connections. Our technology is tricking all of us. It makes us think that that we're connecting with someone when really we're not getting the full depth that we need to feel valued and supported and a community sense. and. Yeah. You know, the technology can only take you so far with that. And right. these kids, I mean, Melanie, they don't even want to go get their driver's license. I know. Because they don't see a point because they can just FaceTime their friend or they can you know, literally FaceTime their friend while watching Netflix at each other, each separate house. So they say that's watching Netflix together, you know, like. It's just, it's, it's, it's weird. It is. It's, it's really hard to understand because, and it's not healthy. You know, it's one thing to be an adult and be like, oh, you kids these days, you know, they're, you know, but it, it really is unhealthy for them to be sitting alone all the time and think, truly believe that they are creating true connections through their phone and they're not, they're, and they do. They come to my office and say, you know, I don't have any friends or I only all my friends are surface level. And I'm like, yeah, of course. yeah, I, yeah. I believe that. And so I have to do a lot of social skills building yeah. with my clients and social anxiety is really, really high with youth today. And it's because of this. Mm-hmm. Sure. They're not practicing their social skills. And right. for mom and dad out there listening, you might be scratching your head saying, but I feel so connected on social media. Come on, Melanie, this is, you know, and so what I'm going to say to you is, yes, you do. You do. Your brain is over 25 or 28 and you do feel it is a tool for adults. It is not a tool for kids or teenagers. Mm -hmm. And the more they use it, as you hear and listen to Tessa today, the more they use it, the more sick they get. This doesn't prepare them to, using it doesn't prepare them to use it better, you know, when they're an adult. No, that's a myth. That's a myth. Right. So it's just, uh, I, parents, it's Mm -hmm. hard because I know a lot of parents who do, they say something like that and they, and kids too, they compare, right? Sure. From teenager to parent, like, well, why can't I? Or why are you on your phone? Or the parent saying, well, I do that. Oh my gosh, Mel, that's another story. That's a whole other story. But you know, kids want red sports cars too, but we don't give them that. Exactly. Exactly. But the problem with that, Melanie, is that you do run into the occasional parent who does give their kids the red sports car, right? There's some consequences for that most of the time. Yes. Yes. And so that's what's, I 
I think is the hardest thing as a parent today is I don't want to give my kid a smartphone or social media, but she's going to be left out or she's going to, you know, be bored at her friend's house because all they're doing is making TikTok videos, you know, and it's really hard to navigate that, which is obviously why you and I are in this field because we want to keep talking about this more and more to get more and more parents on board. Yeah, if you if you build that community, you know, if you like in and like you're on our Facebook group and you see this community yep. that's building and that's all you yep. need to do really is just craft your village a little bit, get more people that are like-minded and then that really really helps. Um Yes. And I know that parents are really struggling with this and I do think that it's almost more of a struggle for their peers. Like, I think it's the parent peer pressure that's uh-huh. making a lot of us cave in. You right. know, I mean, I did this with my oldest. I gave him video games because all my friends did and we all thought sure. it was okay. And then I learned that it wasn't. My latest thing I'm realizing, you know, people like to say, well, that's easier said than done. I'm going to say that actually it's easier done than mm-hmm. said because yeah. when you start talking to your friends, that's what trips you up and you start feeling like a bad mom. But if you would just do what you need to do, and that's just get rid of it for now, not forever, just for now, get your kids uh, on track to have a good teenage, you know, experience. I mean, I'm one to think, I'm just here to tell you, I don't think that teenagers need to have a terrible experience. I mean, right. I, I see such a big difference now, you know, with my younger ones that are not on all this stuff. We have so much fun with them. They are not having a storm in their teenage years. You know, there's no hurricanes. I mean, I, right. I don't, I'm not perfect, but I mean, sure. we're just, you know, can you imagine when you eliminate all this? Anyway, it, it's well, so and, and so when parents say, I don't want her to be left out, I understand that, that emotion and that, that fear. However, she's being left out of something that is not healthy for her. Right. right. Like she's being left out, but they're not actually connecting over there making TikTok or what no. they're all mindlessly scrolling through Snapchat or TikTok and they're not actually connecting. So she's she's not actually missing out. No, she's sense. more left out and missing out when she's on all that. Right. And so that's what we need to really make clear to parents is she might feel and you feel she's missing out with the um the event that's getting put together, mm-hmm. the hangout, the sleepover, whatever, but she's not actually missing out on the true connection that's that we right. want our and the true deep friendship that we want our kids to have with each other. And so that that can help a little bit with like, okay, you know, if kids, I'm sure there's teenage out, teenagers out there that feel like they're missing out because their parents won't let them go to a party to go drink and do drugs, right? right? Sure. And so, it, <laughs> but you as a parent feel confident with saying no to that because you know that's an unhealthy hangout. Well, that's the same thing with tech, you know, screens and technology and all that is it's an unhealthy hangout. So it's okay for them to miss out on that. Right. Right. And they will have friends. And if you can teach them how to have this, these connections, these yes. connections with you and with other adults and other people in their life, then that's a, that's a huge protective factor. I sit with teenagers every day and a lot of my teenagers come to me, you know, seventh, eighth grade, and I, I watch them grow through the years and then I send them off to college. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I see this emotional maturity and so much growth. And 
I will tell you so many of my seniors have a love-hate relationship with their phone and they either say, I wish my parents never gave this to me or I'm so thankful my parents gradually gave this to me, put restrictions on, didn't let me have Snapchat and TikTok, you know, and they, they're they so thankful for that. And then they always say, when I have kids, they're not getting a dang phone, you know? <laughs> and that funny? so that, that makes me hopeful for future generations, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, I agree. I agree. I think they're getting burned and they were the experiment yeah. and yep. enough is enough. It's Yeah. It's been a lot of pain for them. So we've got the glorified option, the immediate gravitation, the lack of personal connection. What's the fourth mm-hmm. one? So obviously if we're not connecting with people and we're not feeling important, we're going to push for a little bit extra attention. So attention seeking is the next one. And that's always been um, a factor with self-harm and suicidal ideation. Um, however, it's just amplified now and it's become a norm. So hearing that your friend was hospitalized last week for a suicide attempt, they don't, they're so desensitized to it. They don't have really much of an, a reaction to that. Wow. Um, so it's become a very acceptable way of seeking attention, which is scary. And, and I always say, you know, attention is not a bad thing. We all as human beings want attention because what attention really is, is feeling important and feeling valued in this world. That's what it really is. It's just a matter of how you go about getting it and what kind of form of attention you're getting. Mm -hmm. And if it's unhealthy, like, you know, using the screen and social media, it's not the right attention and you're not going to feel that importance and that value. Right. So it's, they're looking for significance and all, we all are, everybody, we all are, right. but when you've got a young person looking yes. for significance and they don't have the emotional tools to weed out the good attention versus the bad attention, you, you know, it's very confusing and we're putting them in a yeah. platform, you know, that is not helping with this. I thought it was interesting that you talked about that negative emotions are stronger than positive ones. Yep. They're five times stronger. Wow. Yeah. Which makes it exhausting. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. It's hard to find that balance. If you're being flooded with negative stuff, Um, it's really hard to come up from that. However, especially being in the field that I'm in, I strongly believe that it's, you know, we just, if with a little bit of effort and a, we can get there. You can find that balance. There's going to be negativity in all of our lives because life is hard, mm-hmm. but it's our job to to really um, shine the positivity. And so that's kind of where that comes in. Yeah. Well, the next one is social media. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And I could talk I mean, about that forever. And all these things that you've been talking oh. about really fall under this. Yes. So obviously if all of these things, right? The the need for immediate gratification, wanting to be glorified, um, that attention seeking and wanting to connect with others, they're gonna lean on social media because that has come across as an easy way to achieve all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's tricking everyone because you're not actually getting any, any productivity, healthy productivity from social media when it comes to that. And so it's, I definitely could talk about social media for a while, but I, in my book, I break it down into five, five negatives that come with social media. 
And the first one is unrealistic comparisons. You know, as a young adolescent, you're already harping yourself on your insecurities and your flaws and you're comparing yourself. It is on like crazy with social media. And then the second one is your social life doesn't get turned off. You know, I remember in high school, if I was like not feeling very social, which was not common, I was a pretty big social butterfly. But if I didn't want to hang out with anyone, you know, I was having kind of an off day, I could go home and not hang out with anyone and not be influenced by anyone and just kind of have that that time to myself to decompress and sit in my own thoughts and feelings. And that that's not the case today, right? Or if I wasn't invited to stuff, which definitely happened, I didn't find out until Monday. Right. It didn't ruin your whole weekend. Yeah, it didn't ruin my weekend. I wasn't up till 3 a.m., you know, getting sent messages and videos from friends, like rubbing it in my face, you know? Yeah, it was a natural pace. Yes. Yeah. And it was a healthy pace, right? And so um, the social life being on 24-7 is a really big one because it also promotes or encourages screen addiction. A lot of times when we see these kids who are addicted to their screens, a lot of it is that fear of missing out and that connection, wanting to connect. And so they're up till three in the morning, you know, because a friend Snapchatted them or whatever, and it's they're losing sleep over it. And, you know, all the problems with screen addiction just are really, really hard. And it's really hard to come out of that, mm-hmm. the screen addiction. And Well, it's the persuasive design too. It's the way the screens yes, are all made. To get that dopamine more and it, it's just, yeah. And then another problem with social media is obviously the cyberbullying. And what I always say is hurt people hurt people. And there are a lot of hurt, hurt people, people behind a screen. And all of a sudden they have this safe place that they feel confident they can say something hurtful to someone else because mm-hmm. they're not because they're hurt. being yeah because <laughs> they're hurt but they're also not being met with the physical reaction of someone they don't have to see anybody cry or there's no natural consequences to mm-hmm. their actions right mm-hmm. and so it's not a healthy place to let out all your thoughts or to get mad at somebody or say those hurtful things because there's, there is nothing beneficial or productive that comes from that. I'm all about conflict resolution, but not over the screen. It is not going to be productive that way. And then another problem with social media is, and I don't, I did not put this in my book because I just my mind wasn't even going there. But since my book was published, it's I, my eyes have opened up so much about, you know, the online predators. Right. And they're on social media. And I even um, I even made a post recently about just kind of what seeing a nude picture does to me as a as a grown woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a man sent me a picture and it literally ruined my day. Sure. It was traumatic. And and I know that that's so silly to hear a 34-year-old woman say, but all I thought was, oh my gosh, these poor 10-year-olds, you know, because if it ruins my day and I am a married woman, (laughs) um, what is that going to do to a 10, 11-year-old who's never seen something like that? It's totally 
out of the blue. And it's just, there's just so much that can be sent to our kids through all of these screens, gaming, social media, all of it, Facebook, all of it that, that is really hard for them to process emotionally and mentally. And it creates these little traumas for them. Well, the, the summary with the social media point is that social media is not designed for kids. It's not designed for teenagers. It's an adult tool that can be used very well. It's just an yes. advertising platform. It's entertainment. It's not for the teenage years in any way, shape, or form. I I always say, because parents ask me, well, I have, you know, and I have Instagram too. Like I have this stuff and like, why is it okay for me to have it? Like, that's my son's argument to me, you know, that sort of thing. And I always say like, if you're going to get on your phone to adults, this is what I say. If you are going to get on your phone and be productive, whether that's answering an email or taking notes for something or checking on your business Instagram or even something productive as checking on your sister who lives in New York and you want to make sure, you know, um, her, her, she and her baby are doing okay or you're, you want to see new pictures of the baby, whatever. There's productivity and benefit to that as an adult or connecting with your aunt, you know, in Ohio, whatever it is. There's productivity and benefit to that. When we m- scroll mindlessly, that's the unhealthy part. And that is something that teenagers and kids can't resist doing. And sure, they could get some benefit out of social media, but I, I honestly, off the there, top of my head. There's many other ways they can get those benefits outside of social <laughs> and, media. And stronger too, and right? better, they, yeah. Yes, okay. they would get it in a much healthier way. I can't off the top of my head, can't even think of a benefit um, that kids could get. And I know their argument is connection, but it's not real connection. So it's more trash than they can handle. And this is why the suicide rate is so high because it's the wrong thing, you know, at the, at the wrong time. It's, it's too much, too quick, too soon. It really is. Mm Mm-hmm. So what is your sixth, I guess, influence? So the sixth one is pressure. So our kids are growing up in a very fast-paced, go, go, go environment and society. And they, you know, parents put a lot of pressure on their kids. But what I'm seeing more and more is the pressure that they put on within themselves. And Well, they get um, the and influence from all their peers and they all feel like they all have to be in the top be colleges perfect. and get the perfect grades mm-hmm. and do all that. And that, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's still. And then that comes from social media. Too, sure. It's right? peer driven through social media. Yeah. It's that unrealistic comparison. And then this overwhelming sense of pressure to be perfect. And perfectionism is a really, really unhealthy obstacle because there's no such thing as perfect and you'll never get there. And so you're going to exhaust yourself trying to get there. And, but they have this idea that it is a real thing that they can get there. And so they put all this pressure on themselves to be this well-rounded, perfect in all of the areas, you know, individual, and it's drowning them. It is absolutely drowning them. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to, we've got a few more minutes to talk about some yeah. positive things. And we just did a great job sort of outlining this problem and the, the suicide issues. I and mean, we will continue to talk about this throughout this podcast over the months because it is such a big problem. 
but what can we do? What, what are some takeaways of some real positive things that we can do? Like I said, the main two goals are building resiliency and connection. And in my book, I definitely go more into detail about how to do this. But my biggest advice is to allow your kids to struggle, Mm -hmm. not to fix their problems or make things super, super convenient for them all the time, Right. but to allow the struggle, um, hold off phones. And I, I know you know this, Melanie, but everyone, there's so many times when people are like, oh, well, what else would I get my kid? How am I going to keep in contact with them when they get out of practice? What blah, 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 blah. <laughs> There are so many other Options. gadgets yeah. that work like the, the, you know, watches and walkie talkies that have unlimited range and gab wireless um, that you, that looks like a smartphone, you know, but only has the text and the call and they can connect with you. It's, it's teaching them how to use their phone properly with responsibility and what they're actually meant for. Yeah, And I, I want to say something about that. Cause I, I kind of bought that myth for a while that we could teach our kids how to use stuff properly. Uh-huh. And I think there are some things in life that that's true of, I really don't sure. think that's true of a phone. I, I don't think that it's, I'll just go right out there and get on the record and say, I don't think that it's, I think you're setting yourself up for failure if you think you can actually teach a teenager how to stay away from uh, toxic stuff on their smartphone because no adult can even do that really. So we're we're putting such a powerful tool in their hand. Our boys won't have a smartphone, you know, till they even go to college. Maybe I'm not even sure, honestly, by then they'll even want it a one in college because anything they're going to need is going to be fine on their laptop. And a talk text phone really is all they need. And my daughter didn't have one till after she was 18, and and it worked out just great. So I just want to say that you do have a choice on that. And what we what we need to do, like you're saying here, is all the opposite of these things you just mentioned. We need to find ways to make them, you know, uh, more resilient, or we need to find ways to make them feel more significant and more connected. I love it when you said just now to, you know, not make life so easy for them, give mm-hmm. them something to work hard at whether yeah, it's work towards, yeah, too. whether it's chores. I mean, I think mm-hmm. like I tell all my parents that I work with, I just say everything you need to raise a good teenager and to raise a healthy balanced teenager, you've got it right in your house. You've got weeds that need to be pulled. You've got toilets that need to be cleaned. You have dishes that need to be washed. You have meals that need to be cooked. Laundry that needs to be folded. Laundry that needs to be washed and folded. So bring them into your family as a significant part of your family. And what this means is you roll up your sleeves and you work together. And by working together, you're building this um, muscle that they feel significant. They feel accomplished. They are Mm -hmm. part of a working unit. And that's what I think they're missing so much when we don't do that. And we think, well, we don't want to make our kids work. Well, yes, we do. And Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, was a fabulous book for me to read um, before, you know, we hit these teenage years about the importance of building grit. And she goes and interviews hundreds of really famous people, gritty people, and discovers kind of all the secrets behind that. So I I hate to make it sound so simple, but you know, the, the best answers usually are very simple, simple, right? They're hard, (laughs) but they're very simple. They're nothing complicated. I think the problems that come are what is complicated and hard. And so sometimes it's hard to to say, oh, we just need to go back to basics here. Yes. You know, it's hard to remember that. And when, you know, when I talk about like giving your kids 
Gab Wireless so that they can learn how to use a phone. I don't even mean social media. I mean to use a phone the way phones were originally meant to be used for and the way that teenagers should be using them with um, just calling, right? And, you know, I like the idea of of having my my son, when he gets older, him being able to call me and say, hey, mom, I'm done with practice. Like, mm-hmm. I like that, right? And that's totally fine. When my kids were in middle school, I'll just say, they didn't have a, they didn't even have a gap phone in middle school. I, they didn't have that till high school because I liked it. And this was just my thing. I just really liked it when they had to go to the office and talk to the gal and say, yeah. can I use can the I phone, phone and call my yeah. mom? And then they had to make that that phone call in front of those people, you know, yep. I just love that. I love Well, yeah, that's that be... struggle yeah. that you're talking about, right? And so I talk about Gab Wireless all the time and then, but then I thought, oh shoot, I don't even own one. Like I've <laughs> never even experienced one. So we went ahead and bought one and it's now considered our family phone. Yeah, it's great. And so our, you know, it stays in the same place, almost as if it's hooked up to a wall, like a family phone would be. And, um, it is used whenever my kids need to call their dad and I'm busy doing something. Or when, you know, there was a situation when they got home, the bus pick, dropped them off way too early and they got home before I was home. And my four boys knew how to get inside the house and they called me right away. So, it was, you know, it's our version of a family phone. And eventually, I have no idea when, but way later down the line, we'll get one for, you know, the boys when they're old enough. Right. And when they need, and they'll use it when they need to use it. If they have baseball yeah. on Tuesday, they'll take it. But it's not yeah. like their thing exactly. that they live with and hide under their it's pillow. It's an night. extension of them. Right. It's not part of them. So right. that's definitely, um, you know, one solution is to delay those influences so you can speak more clearly into yes. your kids' lives while they are under your roof and while they're in this stage of development. So I tell a lot of my clients to go to your website, screenstrong.com, because you y'all's detox has, I'm, I'll tell you, Melanie, it has saved so many families that I've worked with. Um, I have a lot of parents that come in that have younger kids. Mm-hmm. And after I wrote my book, they I a lot of more older parents not older parents, but parents have come to me to talk about their younger kids. And I don't work with young kids, but, you know, I'm trying to prevent them being in heartache later on. And so um, I bring this up a lot because one of my first questions when working with my clients is, and how much are they on screens? And, you know, I get a variety of answers. It was really cute. One mom was like embarrassed to admit that she lets her son watch TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, that's really sweet. Okay. That <laughs> that's the one thing that she she lets him watch Daniel Tiger while she's cooking. I'm like, that might be okay. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it has really, you know, the. I mean, again, I could talk about this for a long time too. But the behavioral problems that we're seeing with younger kids today, so much, I. I don't want to say all of it, but so much of it is because of screens and you take those screens away and it's like night and day. Right. Right. I hear that all the time. And yeah. yeah. All the time. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it. I have witnessed it. I have a really good friend who has some crazy six-year-olds at home. She's got twin six-year-olds and they are, whoo. And I, I was like, how, how often are they on the iPad? You know? And oh my gosh, I couldn't, first of all, I couldn't believe how much they were on the iPad. And then 
Second, I couldn't believe what a transformation it made when they completely took them away. And the good thing, and I don't know how you feel about this, Melanie, you can definitely um, disagree with me, but the good thing when they're younger is that you can take it away cold turkey Absolutely. with very little pushback. You might have a day or two, depending on you know how addicted they are and were, but y- you know you can you can do that without a lot of pushback. The older kids, the teenagers, you're going to get more of a pushback. The longer they've been on it, the harder it's going to be. Yes, away. It's very yes. simple. It's, I, and I yes. agree with you completely on the cold turkey for the little kids. Yeah. And even on the, the big kids, I, you know, we can talk about that later, but there's still lots of uh, benefits. And with the, with the older kids, I agree with the cold turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, there's more prep work more that prep. has to be yeah, um, uh, addressed first. And so, one of the biggest things when I sit with clients is we come up with coping skills as well as self-care skills. And um, these are really great for replacement um, activities that you can do when you're feeling bored and when your kid normally would be on the iPad. And I ask these three questions. What do you like to do that's fun? And so when I ask these questions to kids, they're not allowed to say anything that has to do with video games or technology, right? What do you like to do for fun? And they make a list of that. And then I ask, what do you like to do that's relaxing? Mm -hmm. And they make a list of that. And then I ask, what do you do or what can you do when you get really angry or sad that is safe, but makes you feel better? Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, punching a pillow, screaming into a pillow, that sort of thing. Um, working out, that sort of thing. And so they make these three lists. They answer these three questions. And this is their list of options to do when they're bored, Mm -hmm. when they're having a hard time, when there is something stressful coming up in their life. And normally they would be reaching for their phone or their iPad or whatever device. Um, But when you take this stuff away, you have to have these things in in place for the replacement. So this is just a real, and I encourage adults to answer those three questions as well. Um, it's just a good, good way of figuring out, okay, what do I like? What's good for me? And what can I do when I'm upset? Mm-hmm. That's really good. And that's really, really practical to have that yeah. list handy. Cause sometimes we just need a list. We need to laminate it and put it on the refrigerator. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I sat down with each of my boys and it changes through the years, right? When my twins were four and I'm asking them that, like they're answering silly, silly answers, you know? Um, so it changes through the years. And so it's good to do little check-ins and redo, reevaluate what it could be on your list, but each of my boys have it taped up in their room. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had one in our downstairs art room, but it is currently demolished right now because of the winter storm that we just went through. But, and, and so they're able, it's right there for them when they're in their room and they're feeling bored or they, you know, got in trouble and got sent to their room. They can do these things. It's right there for them to do. Um, and it's easy and it's just simple and back to basics. And it, yeah, it all goes back to the basics. And we just, we are just so glad that we've had this time with you today. I just want to say again to the parents out there that may be sort of wondering in the back of their head if their kids are struggling with any of these things that we talked about with the suicide or anything, that you can get in touch with us, that we can talk with you further about um, helping you with that. We, you know, I think of all the time that, that as parents, we just are really, wasting with our teenagers by letting them venture off onto all these 
platforms mm-hmm. when really we should be spending more time with them. I, I just mm-hmm. think any of our screen problems that we have, any of our teenager problems, any of the issues in our family, most of them can be helped by, um, or all of them can be helped um, by spending more time together mm-hmm. in person with, you know, with our kids and, and yeah. just really focusing on having fun again and um, having fun with them. We just got to quit wasting all this time. Yeah. And we also had to, I, I know Tessa in your work, you see it of course so much more than I do, you know, on the boots on the ground. Mm-hmm. But I think we have to quit believing the myth that the teenage years are supposed to be super hard. I mean, they are, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying yeah. that they're not, Right. Let's be a little more positive with our kids and say, look, you've got what it takes and you've got a family and we're connected and we've got your back. Yeah. I think I like that because I I do think that teenage years are really hard for the teenager and it takes the rest of the family to be, to be supportive and, and balance with that positivity. Right. And for parents to go in, you know, I hear this all the time, right? As a mom of four boys, they're like, oh, wait till they're teenagers. And I really hate when people say that because I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of excited for yeah, the teenagers. And you because, should be. And you should yeah, be. Yeah. And I, every year that they get older, like they just get cooler and cooler and more fun to talk to and hang out with. And I am excited for the teenage years. And so I want to be that supportive, positive role in their life rather than, annoyed with them all the time or nagging them all the time or fearful and don't don't be fearful and realize the teenage years are such a gift and they are uh, teenagers the way their brain works when they're teenagers they can learn and do anything it is the most amazing amazing season in our entire life so let's just be more purposeful around making it better and if it's going to be if it's going to be easier to make it better by delaying the technology for a while, then just delay it. It's 48 months. It's high school. This is such a short period of time. So I just want to be super encouraging about that here at the end. I was that mom. As soon as I got pregnant with my first, I thought, oh no, one day I'm going to have a teenager. And I don't think that anymore. I just love these years. And we don't, we do not argue and fight over screens and right that's That's not even part of it no that's not on the table as you say (laughs) I love that yeah no I love that that just takes a whole big stressor out of it for you guys and that's that's definitely my plan I but it's an investment you make an investment in your kids right now and it will pay off and they will be better and I'm not saying you can prevent every bad thing that's going to happen but you can increase your odds and that's what we're about I always tell parents the inconvenience and the struggle um, getting through now without screens because screens are convenient, right? Right. And they make things seem easier. Mm -hmm. And I say seem. The inconvenience and the struggle and the stress now without screens is nothing compared to the stress and heartache you will face if, if you raise them with screens. And it's important. It's so worth not having to deal with that stress and that anguish and that the the tension and the heartache right. that could be headed your way if they're on screens. Well, Tessa, that sounds like that was just a wonderful final encouragement. <laughs> yeah, I, thank you so much for sharing yes. that. That really sums it up. Oh, gosh, I really appreciate your time. The time has just flown. Absolutely. Thank you. 
So everyone, if you are sitting there wondering, what do I do next? You can go to our website. You can take the Screen Strong Challenge, which is just a week off. We help you figure out how to do that. Of course, we want you to do that for 30 days. And then as, as Dr. Sachs says, you know, you've got to, you've got to at least do six, you know, to eight weeks. Um, Victoria Dunkley says that, you know, to reset some of these screen habits. So if that's where you're headed, we can help you with that. Thank you again so much, Tessa, for coming. Yes. Thank you. And I hope y'all all enjoyed listening today. Please remember to donate to our organization and then subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends. Head over to our website to learn more about our Screen Strong Challenge that we've been talking about today. Make sure you join our Screen Strong Families Facebook group. This is a community where we will help families just like you navigate your way around all the best solutions to get your kids back and re-engage in your family. We will walk alongside you and Tessa is in our group and she will help you So remember, we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong.